the big thing for me in West Virginia were the tunnels. And the tunnels were fun and spooky and hated like all at the same time. You know, they were really interesting, but every one of them was sort of a mini challenge. And when you'd get through it, you'd go. So to describe what these tunnels were like, you would you would feel them before you would see them because the rush of cold air would come down sort of the valley that is the cut for the the former railroad track. And then you'd come around to this gaping black maw, like looking at you, you know, in the side of a mountain. And some of these tunnels were very long. You know, they're like 30, 40 feet above you. You can't see anything. And bears like to go into them. So you never knew exactly what was directly ahead of you. And I would say the only real relief was if you were in a tunnel that was short enough, you could see the light at the end of the tunnel and you would know if there was really anything superimposed ahead of you that you don't want to meet. But in some cases, the tunnels had a slight arch to them such that you would go in and you couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And you would just be walking, walking, walking and leading the horse in this case, Handsome Larry, you know, leading Handsome Larry through the through the tunnel and just like, you know, putting one foot in front of the other. So you're just kind of hoping for the best. And you could hear bats and all sorts of stuff like swooping around you. And you'd pop out the other side and you'd just be like, Whoa. Hero must complete the journey. The hero returns with boons, the insight that all has been simultaneously learned and unlearned. The goal achieved, unearthing new truths. Wesley, the once dread pirate Roberts, rides off with his love and a new cadre of compatriots he hadn't realized that he'd needed all along. Kurosawa's farmers returned to a peaceful village, having become the heroes of their own samurai story, a story written of community and mutual aid. Tiana, a one-time frog, opens a New Orleanian dream restaurant, carrying the recipes of her family by blood and holding within it the family acquired along the journey. In The Hero with a Thousand Faces, Joseph Campbell says this, quote, The agony of breaking through personal limitations is the agony of spiritual growth. Art, literature, myth and cult, philosophy, and ascetic disciplines are instruments to help the individual past his limiting horizons into spheres of ever-expanding realization. As he crosses threshold after threshold, conquering dragon after dragon, Finally, the mind breaks the bounding sphere of the cosmos to the realization transcending all experiences of form, all symbolizations, all divinities. A realization of the ineluctable void. End quote. That is to say, the realization of the inevitable expanse, the great unknown. The end of the journey calls to the hero 
as it had in the beginning, as a breeze whispering from a cavernous tunnel, or as a zephyr off the sea. This is Ride of Passage. I'm Laura Weber Davis. Chapter 12, The Ocean. In West Virginia, Matt discovered in the quarter horse Handsome Larry a quality absent from many, if not most, horses generally. A willingness to wholly engage the void with a human. Pushing through together, there was the realization of the splendor of this state in autumn. The nights were chillier in West Virginia. I mean, we're talking fall time at this point. You know, West Virginia has, like, I mean, it is a seriously rugged, state. You could see vistas and canyons and trails and rivers and landscapes as beautiful as anywhere else in the world right there. And, you know, and it's, it's a hop, skip and a jump away from, you know, all these areas in the eastern seaboard. Matt and handsome Larry had ridden together through Ohio, bisecting the Appalachian mountain range in West Virginia, and were heading toward the Chesapeake and Ohio Canal, the C and O. As Matt neared the canal, his mind was in Ann Arbor. His journeyman Silver was still healing at his parents' farm. Here's Bill Parker. I wasn't sure that he was going to get better or be able to, to ride again because it was such a bad-looking wound. But it did work out, thank goodness. After six weeks of rest, Silver was cleared by the veterinarian to return to the trail. It, like the the journey just wouldn't have been the same to finish on any other horse. I mean, like to not finish with him, it would have rung a, a bit more hollow, I think. Bill drove out to the CNO Canal with this Appaloosa that now carried scars from the trail as his rider did. Todd joined Bill so that he could pick up handsome Larry, having endured a journey of his own. The tailgate went down so that I could look at Silver and and seeing him standing there again. I mean, he felt a bit like a ghost, you know, to see him in in the trailer again. And I insisted on going in there and taking a look at him and, and backing him out and, you know, spending some time with him. And he and I had, you know, some nice moments there when we finally reconnected. He, he and I always had a very good rapport. I mean, it's it's not the same as a dog, you know, like jumping all over you but I mean like you know when he starts like nuzzling you with his head and you give him like a good neck scratch and he always really liked that um, so it was it was evident that we were back together and and then it was really like looking him over the scar tissue from the barbed wire wound was thick and tough like the laces of a football Silver was still a bit stiff, but he was now in the phase of recovery benefited by walking and regaining range of motion in his leg. Matt would use the next several days to determine if Silver was up for the trail. And Todd would hang around with handsome Larry at the stable, just in case. Even 
when Silver returned to the trail, he had some mobility issues. So the first couple few days on the trail, I was not really riding him. I was along the CNO Canal on the Maryland border with the Potomac. And I remember first getting him out there and his left leg wouldn't extend, you know, quite as far. He wasn't really ever quite as as fast or, or as he was before. You could just, you could tell. And, you, and I would do stretching exercises with him every morning and every night. On the first day I got Silver back, I went around this large oxbow bend. And one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my entire life was this shower of small leaves off of a, you know, what, what might have been a pepper tree or something like that. And it looked like a hundred million of these little leaves were just cascading down in front of us. And, you know, with the view of the Potomac on the right and the, and the, um, the canal path uh, going away from you. And I just thought, man, this, it looked like heaven. It was beautiful. Uh, and you just felt uh, that it was a piece of history. It was gorgeous. I thought, well, this is, this is, if this is the way you're going to ride, it's fantastic. The canal runs alongside the Potomac River, otherwise known as the Nation's River. Home to the stories that helped craft this country, providing the land and water navigated by George Washington and Robert E. Lee alike. Precipitous rock formations gave way to the rush of waterfalls and swirling pools, lined by hardwoods yearning for their autumnal show. The canal was dotted with the occasional lock house and constant splendor. Matt and Silver neared the trailhead outside of the District of Columbia. I was getting very close to the to the city, and there was a like a touristy um, lock station there, and there were quite a few people. And there was, for some bizarre reason, the towpath swapped to the southern side of the canal, and I was clipping along, and I realized the only way to get back onto the onto the right side was upstairs over a bridge and it, and you were stuck there was no way for me to get from where i was and it was late in the day and i had to meet with with my dad and todd up ahead at some you know known meeting area and it was the evening time it was one of those things where it, it, i looked at the stairs and i just i said yeah those look pretty sturdy you know, and I sort of evaluated it, saw the bridge, you know, the bridge was a big, you know, honking bridge that, that went up and then to the left over the canal. And I just went, oh, man. And I just hopped off Silver and I was like, okay, man, like, let's go. And he just, I took him by the reins and he just went dunk, 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 up the steps. Uh, and he did it. And then we just walked directly over this bridge and then back down the other side uh, in front of what I could only assume was a gawking group of people, but he was, he was a fantastic. I mean, he was just a fantastic, you know, willing partner throughout all that. Matt now knew, yeah, 
Silver was okay. Silver rested a few days at Rock Creek Stable while Matt met with officials in D.C. The Bureau of Land Management wanted to ask Matt about the condition of the federally managed lands in Nevada. Congressman Joe Schwartz of Michigan wanted to congratulate this constituent on the journey. And Senator Tom Carper of Delaware wanted to hear about the trip and make a plan to meet Matt and Silver at the end. But it was time to let Bill go home and to let Todd take handsome Larry back to Indiana. Matt and Silver would ride through Washington, D.C. When we finally were like, yeah, I can take him. He's okay. Like, the handoff is is complete. I gave, I gave Larry, like, a nice, like, thanks, man. You know, that was, I appreciate it. I c- took good care of him, and he took good care of me. So... Um, after I'd said goodbye to them and they were both on their way, I rode out of Rock Creek very early in the morning. Were you nervous? I yeah, feel like I would I was, have been nervous. I was very nervous uh, because, you know, there's there's parts of D.C. that are beautiful. There's parts of D.C. that are um, that can be a little treacherous. And riding a horse through any of those by yourself is not a common occurrence. I knew where I needed to get on the uh, northeast side of the district, and I was like, I'm just going to do it. Like, And so I just I just rode out of there, and, you know, I think I was on the trails, like, it might have been 5 a.m., and I was just, like, clip-clopping, clip-clopping, you know, through the, you know, through the streets. Some of the streets were, were pretty quiet, and then you'd get through, you know, intersections that were pretty pretty bustling and loud. Do you ever have people just like rubbernecking? Like everyone. What Every, is this? Everyone. But but again, there is a lot of theater that happens in that city. And it's probably not the craziest thing that the residents of DC have seen. Like, you know, it's it's the stage on which so many activist and meaningful things are played out on a national scale. I don't know what their perception was, but my motivation was to get through the city as fast as possible. It was like two accomplishments. It was like ride through DC and do that as fast as possible. Everything at this point was closer in. The people, the roads, the destinations, all rushing in around this cowboy. From DC, Matt and Silver quickly made their way into the suburb of Bowie and then back into wilder spaces. I popped out of a um, a trail in this in the nature preserve right right adjacent to Bowie, and there was um, an older woman sitting on a park bench feeding some birds and just sitting quietly. And she looked at me very quizzically, like, "What? Where are you doing? Like, what are you doing, young man?" Like, and I I let Silver sort of graze around on um, on the grass nearby, and I sat down with her, and we had a really nice talk for about an hour. And I think I couldn't help but tell her how about how worried I was that the trail was finishing, and it was this experience was coming to a close, and I knew that I was within striking distance of being done, and I didn't know what was meant for me or what I was meant to do after that. I, it was very opaque to me. And she just looked at me and she said, honey, if you have ridden all the way across the United States to this bench, you're going to be just fine. And, and I just, I have thought about that during 
some of the trials and, and difficulties I've had, and it is one of my North Stars that I just never, I never forget. And I gave her a hug and uh, got back on Silver and, you know, headed on, headed on East. Joseph Campbell says it this way, the hero adventures out of the land that we know into darkness. And his return is described as a coming back out of that yonder zone. Nevertheless, the two kingdoms are actually one, end quote. Matt and Silver approach the span that connects the D.C. region with Delaware's peninsula. The Chesapeake Bay Bridge is a four and a half mile long highway, and it was the only way to get to the Atlantic Ocean without veering nearly a hundred miles off course. Matt was loath to drive any portion of the trail. But transportation officials said no. They couldn't stop traffic for him to ride Silver over the Bay Bridge. He'd have to put Silver in a trailer. And it was only a apparent to me, once I'd reconciled that I needed to be trailered over the bridge, how naive I was about the scale of that bridge, because I was sitting in the front cab of the pickup truck of, of the gentleman I'd, I was staying with, he and his wife, and they were approaching it on the highway, and I had purposely like gotten as close to the bridge as I possibly could. Then they, they swooped off and met me, loaded up silver, and we're approaching the bridge and I'll never forget like seeing it like looming in the distance and how gigantic and imposing it was. And it's this big arch, you know, going over this huge body of water. And I realized, yeah, they were never going to shut that bridge down for me like that. Not a chance. And right on the other side of the bridge, they got off at the you know, the easiest place to get off. And I hopped right off and then linked up with the trail immediately. And there was actually an ADT trail marker, like right there. And within a day, I was, you know, I was into Delaware. Delaware was was wonderful. It was a wonderful place because it was so flat. Delaware was just flatter than a pancake in most places, I remember these enormous sod farms. It was like a mile across the flattest, greenest grass ever. And then you realize like, oh, these are all sod farms. Delaware only took me a few days to cross. Was it just pretty much a pleasure ride the whole way through? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was, you know, it was like one family to the next. um, And everybody was very welcoming. Everybody got the fact that I was really closing in on my final destination. And then when I got to, to Lewis, Delaware, that's when um, I was hooked up with Lucky's Place. Matt would stay with a horse owner in Lewis named Lucky. After some time together, Lucky and his wife decided that they would gather a couple friends to ride with Matt to the ocean on the final day. Because they had horses and he had, you know, sort of a, um, a nice horse barn and, and his house and stuff. It was a very nice house. Um, and he and his wife, and then I was introduced to Cliff. My name is Cliff Stabner, and I currently live in Delaware. Uh, I had moved down here uh, after I retired from the New York City Fire Department in 2003. 
due to some lung damage sustained um, at the World Trade Center uh, recovery site in Manhattan. So I was I was grateful for the hospitality that Lucky and his family extended to me, and we had some very good times. But I felt most honored when I was sitting next to Cliff, and you're hearing him recount the heroism uh, and truly horrible events around 9-11, which were not that long ago. We spent a few days, you know, hanging out, drinking beer next to the fire, you know, chit-chatting about everything. When I, As soon as I met him, I mean, I liked the guy, you know. I was like, this guy's got, he's got the fortitude. I admire that in a person, you know what I mean? So um, it, it's been my experience over the years that people that dig in and um, they get, they push past uh, the hard stuff. It's, it, there's some fulfillment in that. I wanted to finish the trip and I could smell the ocean in the air, literally. And I knew that if I left their door, I could be at the beach in, you know, one riding day easily. And I'd call my dad and I'd say, you know, I'm getting closer and, you know, you know when are you guys coming out? And I kept getting stalled by everyone around me saying, hey, just hang out and wait. And I couldn't figure it out. There were times where I thought about having a mutiny and just packing up silver in the middle of the night and just riding there and being at the ocean at dawn. And I was like, why are these people asking me to slow down and hang out? And my dad and I had a phone call where he's like, no, just wait. I'm, you know, we're going to be there on November 4th. Uh, just wait. And I was not happy about that. I, I, I'm like, I've been doing this for two years and now, you know, you want me to wait in the 11th hour. Uh, so the, the following day, um, he shows up with my mom and what he had done was still one of the nicest, sweetest things. And I, and then I realized in short order what was happening. So he's painted the trailer, the same color as the truck and he'd gotten decals of the names of all the horses from the trip and put them on both of the rear doors of the side-by-side trailer. And he, he had a huge decal made of the American Discovery Trail. I mean, it looked like a NASCAR race team had arrived at Lucky's Farm. I just, I couldn't believe it. I just teared up. I just, I couldn't, I just looked at it and I said, this is the most amazing gift. Silver. Handsome Larry, Danny the Mule, Little Face, and Smokey, all represented for the final stretch. The following morning, we all got, got the horses ready pretty early. We set out. I know it was Lucky, myself, I believe his wife, Barbara, and um, it's 10 miles from Lucky's farm to, um, to the beach. So we just went on down the road, just like we were driving to work. And um, the light turned. We went right across State Route 1, and there's a road called Savannah Road, which leads all the way down to the bay. So we went down Savannah Road and we passed the school and all the kids were out waving and they had signs. They had turned out the entire elementary school and middle school. And there was a parade 
with a fire truck and there was this entire you know cadre of people that turned into this seemingly large parade going through and I, all the kids are out there hundreds of kids are out there cheering me you know and I'm and it, and I was oblivious to it I had no idea that None it was None of what you expected. No, not at all. I was expecting in my mind frankly I was expecting to finish as quietly as I had begun. And I was thinking I would I would slip into the ocean as as quietly as I'd slipped into the Sierras and say my peace and you know say my prayers and give my thanks and that would be it. And when I got there it that was far from it. The horse community in Delaware is small. So um, if one person found out that he was doing it and word spread, then um, I'm not surprised that a lot of people turned out to welcome him. It's a crystal blue sky. Uh, You couldn't have asked for a more picture perfect day. It was overwhelming. So as we were riding down Cape Henlopen Drive, uh, there were a bunch of other riders um, that had trailered their horses over and they kind of fell in behind us. And we all uh, went with Matt as he entered the uh, Cape Henlopen State Park. So when we got to the ocean, there was a fairly large trough of water from a sand dune, you know, that had blown inland a little bit so you had to ride through about three feet of water to then get to the actual beach and um we we stopped at the edge of the ocean but then i just sort of took off and i and i wanted a little bit of space to just think Uh, and so i took off and rode down the beach you know a couple hundred yards And there's a photo of me sitting next to Silver, and I am, I am crying in that picture, and it's pretty apparent that I am. It's like he fell down almost in prayer. Matt's mom, Katie Parker. He was overwhelmed by, I think, what he'd been through. I mean, emotionally, physically, mentally. And I think at that point, he let himself feel how exhausted he really was and thankful. Then I came back after I'd collected myself a little bit. But he actually rode his horse right into the water. And uh, he got off his horse and he was standing in the water. And Silver's pawing at the water and he's looking at the waves and he's never seen the ocean before in his life. Yeah, it was was an amazing, an amazing end that was entirely unexpected. Even in recollection, it's almost unbelievable to think that it happened. You never dream of that when you have children, that, you know, you're going to end up 
uh, at the ocean with your son having crossed the country. It, it, it's just, you, you can't imagine that. It's easy to go through life and just say, well, this is too hard, or I don't want to do this, or that, you know, but it's been my experience through life um, that when you face adversity and you forge ahead and you come out the other side, you're stronger for that. I mean, there, there is something to the old adage, if it doesn't kill you, it'll make you stronger. The only thing left now was to go home. Bill and Katie trailered their son and his horse, Silver, back to their farm in Ann Arbor. I remember when we finally got home and how tired I was that I think I slept for like three days. I think I just, I just shut down, you know, completely. And the process of, of sort of realizing that the journey was in fact done and it, it, it was, a, it's, it was strange. It is strange for me to, you know, to sort of re reintegrate after that. But I would, <laughs> I, sometimes I would go off on the, in the back 40 of their property and just go, just camp out, you know, and build a fire and just sort of sit there and I'd hunt rabbits, just sort of sit there on my own to try to have some, I guess, you know, feeling of what the journey was like, but also knowing that I was, you know, still sort of close to town in some sense. What was apparent is uh, Matt was uh, uh, looking ahead and had no idea what he was going to be doing. Uh, You know, it was just uh, completely up in the air. The reintegration process was painful, and I think very largely i've never i've never left the the journey it's it's always there joseph campbell says the returning hero to complete his adventure must survive the impact of the world There is a story that Oz Wickman tells from his little mountain place on the range in Nevada, where Matt and Smokey stayed for a few days. It's a story of the day that Matt left the peaceful home and got lost. Two, three days, he, you know, gets on his horse and he's going to roll out and head back down the trail. And that evening, he showed back up at the house. And he was like, man... I don't know if I can do it. I, I, you know, so you have to understand being that far into the trail, that far into his journey, that tired. And I'm sure that sometime in everybody's life, they've done something for an extended period and you get so tired sometimes that you don't even care anymore. And it's really easy to lose perspective. So Matt hung up one additional night and got his head wound around what he wanted to do and committed to do, and off he went. And I have nothing but praise for that. 
It's a story that says as much about Oz as it does about Matt. And it's a story that repeats again and again in many ways over the course of thousands of miles and three years. Dotted along the map of America are these points of light. People in a constellation in the shape of the American Discovery Trail. People drawn to this seeker of adventure with a horse and a tale to tell. Oz, Wayne, Tanith, Oli, Mark, John, Todd, Lucky and Cliff, and the Parker family. Countless others. There are people on the trip that they either they saved the trip, they saved me or my body or my soul. And were it not for them, this would not be happening. There is nothing self-made. There is nothing accomplished in isolation or in a vacuum. Everything about this journey was about help. It was about self-help. It was about helping others. It was about how to receive that help in some cases, because sometimes receiving help can be difficult, and providing help in, in return. Um, it is the most special thing to me about it. And it has always made me uncomfortable to talk about the trip because the simplest, most reductive way of explaining this journey or anyone else's journey is to see it through the lens of solo horseback rider across the country. But that's not accurate. I was never alone. We've reached the end of this particular adventure story, though we face with fortitude the ineluctable void, the great unknown, of our own stories. Thanks to Matt Parker, his family, and all the folks along the trail for sharing their stories. And thanks to Rachel Ishikawa and Bob Scon for helping shape the telling of this story. A special thanks to you for joining us. We'll be back with a brief epilogue, updating you on Matt and the horses in the new year. This has been Ride of Passage. I'm Laura Weber Davis. Thanks for listening. <laughs>